Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from across Ireland and around the world. Remember, there are many, many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. You can use a smartphone podcast app, uh, iTunes, still banging away there. Or you can turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is the head honcho at techcentral.ie, uh, Niall Kitson, editor-in-chief and I suppose really, Niall, it's not so much as looking back on the week, but looking ahead to next week to one of the, I suppose it must be, what, top one, top two events of the entire calendar? Yeah, well, I mean, let's not go too nuts here. I mean, but when you do look at the tech calendar for the year, there are a few real hotspots there. I mean, you, you start off the year with CES, then uh, increasingly you're looking at CBIT now, then you're looking at IFA, you're looking at Build now, you're looking at Mobile World Congress, you're looking at E3, um, which is also happening next week. But um, you can't get away from WWDC, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. This is where all the big announcements for uh, iOS and macOS 10 are, uh, they, they come every year. And sometimes you get one or two um, hardware announcements, but this is really about where the software is going. Um, so, yeah. Well, listen, let's, let's, let's start off with, because uh, you said OS 10 straight out of the bag. Uh, one of the things that's been rumored is that Mac, Mac OS may come up with a new name. What are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think is is Mac OS or OS ten? Is it is it due? Uh, do we really need a new name for this? It, it ha- the only way I can rationalise this is they've ran out of interesting place in California, which I I doubt somehow, or um, they've got something very new to go under the hood that actually makes it not OS ten anymore. Do you know, I am normally a uh, hater, if you like, of numbers, because I always say human beings don't deal with numbers. Computers do, all right? So human beings don't remember numbers. And I always say to prove that, what date is it today? And most people go, it's the, uh, 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 I says, you can't even remember the date, all right? Um, or what's your phone number? I mean, outside of the five people that you call most often, can you remember anybody's phone number? But, like, we're not good with numbers, all right? Whereas we are good with names, so you got Yosemite and Maverick and all that. It's kind of a great idea. But you know what? It's quite the opposite when it comes to software versions for me, because I don't want to be thinking, well, was Maverick's before Yosemite, and did that come after Snow Leopard, or was, no Le- was Leopard after just give me the darn number so what I would like to see happening with Mac OS is just for them to call it hey it's a new name it's called dun 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 Mac OS 11 okay or or just Mac OS and not bother about numbers because the interesting thing like I mean if you were to run a parallel with Windows 10 I mean Windows 10 is just Windows now like the going forward much as I hate to use that term but um, I mean Windows 10 is the last version of Windows as we know it. Everything from now on is just going to be incremental updates. Mm. So Mac, uh, Mac OS X has kind of been like that for a long time anyway. And to be fair, Google Chrome never uh, releases uh, what version number it is at the moment. It just silently updates in the background. And it, as far as you and I are concerned, it's just Google, Google Chrome. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, we'll find out what's happening at the uh, Worldwide Developers Conference, if anything changes. Uh, On the software side of things, a lot of people are looking for something to be done about Apple Music and the interface. 
especially you. Um, I, I had my three month trial and I found it okay, but mm. didn't really fill a gap in my life. Um, you're a Spotify subscriber. Did you do your three months? And I, d- decide- I did my I did my three months with Apple, and uh, I just it's like the interface. It was fine, but it wasn't as clean and as simple as Spotify. They just made it more awkward, and you know. So, and I have been hearing a lot of people just kind of saying when they compare the two, they prefer Spotify because it's just that little bit more straightforward. Whereas Apple were trying to be a little bit arty with theirs. Do you know that kind of a way? Okay, and the, and they had um, the Beats radio station, which I don't. I don't know anyone who listens to it do you not a single solitary soul yeah i i I think that might go the way of um ping do you remember ping (laughs) does anyone remember ping do you know uh, uh, you're absolutely right but i think uh beats is is we're going to see that uh tumble and i think the the music interface needs a lot of simplification but also the whole apple music thing as in you know how apple music uh interrelates with itunes um and the fact that they're not the same thing uh, but the, you think they're the same thing and then you've got apple this uh, it's it's a it's a mess yeah i will say that you know when that the version of ios came out and they replaced the itunes icon with something called music which was actually apple music and not what mm. you thought it was i thought that was you know, I, I understood the rationale for wanting to get it into as many people's hands as possible. But mm. I, given that it was only relevant for three months and then you would just people being really angry over not having mm. the right music in their hands, if, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I think they really need to rethink how they integrate their music and their cloud services together, be it whatever you've downloaded on iTunes or whatever you have in a, a, a locker service or something like that, or whether you have, um, what's the, what's the one where you, um, synchronize your, um, your current Dr- library with your iTunes library and it plays from the cloud iTunes match. Yeah, iTunes match. And, and yeah. there's there's another thing that, that Apple have just done wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a great idea. It's uh, If you have it on your computer and you scanned it before, well, do you know what? We're going to keep everything at the same consistency with the same artwork and in the same place and charge you $25 a year for the music you already have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, you know, I, I think Steve Jobs would absolutely roll in his grave to a certain extent, not because they charge you money, but because the focus in Apple has gone away from the consumer and the focus now is on Apple and what's important to them. Well, that's a really interesting point because one, I read an article in The Guardian uh, during the week and its its argument was that Apple has lost its way because it has moved away from simplicity. Like, you remember when Steve Jobs released the the iPad, there was no range. I know it was just iPad. You remember when the iPhone came out, there was not, you know, we will do X, Y, Z, different screen sizes because we think they fit different markets. No, it was just, this is iPhone. And fair enough, these were decisions for their time, maybe, and tastes might have moved on, but you cannot argue with the benefits of the simplicity. You know, you, you were just going to buy an iPad, and that was it. You know, there was no... There were no issues with your purchasing decision. Even if you look at the laptop range at the moment, you've got the MacBook Air, you've got the MacBook, which is more portable than the MacBook Air. 
I mean, seriously, there, 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 something has gotten lost in translation there. Then you have the MacBook Pro, uh, which is wildly overpriced compared to what else is on the market at the moment. Um, I, I think they're really lagging behind in their actual computer strategy. I think their their core mm. business um, has really been neglected, and I think it's become quite uncompetitive. Um, whereas I think they've over diversified in the mobile spy in the mobile space to try and appear to too many different markets. Um, it's quite a good idea sometimes in any business where you, the people running the business will just turn around and go, whoa, 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 let's just stop the horse and cart there for a minute. Let's get back to basics. What is at the core of what we do? Let's concentrate on that because quite often, as you say, they get distracted. Oh, we've got several versions of iPad. Uh, We've got several versions of MacBook. We've got several versions of of Mac. Uh, We've got several versions of Apple Watch. You're right. What you say is Steve Jobs. I think that's what he would do if he had gone off to... You know, to God knows what Steve would have done. He's done the whole Disney thing and the movie thing. Maybe, maybe Steve has come back from the moon and uh, <laughs> establishing the first base on the moon or something like that with David Bowie's son. And uh, he's he's saying, do you know what? Get rid of woof, all of that. Apple is now just about one phone, one laptop, and one desktop. Yeah, and I would, you know, you might say it's a reduction of strategy, but I, I would actually appreciate it because it would show some degree of ambition. And, mm. you know, what I think Apple are sticking to their guns too much in some respects. Um, and it means that they're releasing products that aren't great. And we'll look mm. at Apple Music as an example. Um, I, I think it's, you know, there are too many things wrong with it to be able to call it a success. Even. Exactly, and you know, it's it's kind of like it's very much it's it's very it's very much what what I don't like Apple for. You do it the Apple way, or it's the Apple way or the highway. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, what's a, there are going to be some interesting things coming along with um, Mac OS. Sure, let's just start calling it that. Anyway, apparently mm. we're looking at a, a completely overhauled set of um, Apple applications. So, Mail, Messages, Maps, and Calendar are all going to get some class of a. Uh, a facelift photos will get a facelift itunes of course it's inevitably going to get uh, updated i don't know dusty itunes here's here's a, a quibble should itunes be spun out the way that the mac app store is spun out on your desktop right should itunes go back to being a standalone media player app and then you have this other store app on your desktop should you want to buy music Absolutely. That's what apps are. They're small programs dedicated to a single job. Yeah. Okay. And I I don't think too many people would quibble over that. You know, I mean, how many people actually use iTunes as well? No, no, I'm being unfair here. I people use iTunes as a necessary evil, you know, but do people actually go into iTunes now to play their music or to buy music? No, because they're all using Spotify. <laughs> Listen, uh, one other thing with the uh, Apple Worldwide Developers Conference next week that we're keeping a very careful eye on, and that is uh, peer-to-peer payments. What do you think the Apple are thinking on peer-to-peer payments? Yeah, well, I mean, we it, the current iPhones are NFC uh, enabled, aren't they? I couldn't be. I couldn't be sure. I know that a lot of the Android ones yeah, I th- are. I think that I don't. The, I don't actually. I actually don't think they are. Okay. Well, I think you know they have Apple Pay. So uh, if they have that, they, they have to have NFC. Um, so I think it's 
It's going to happen, but again, they're not the first to market. So unless there is interoperability between Apple Pay, Google Pay and Samsung's option, I think there is going to be trouble. If they try and enter the market um, in contactless payments with the Apple way or the the Apple terminal or something like that, they really are going to struggle. Um, I I think it's It's a case where they've been behind the eight ball too long and they're really playing catch up. Mm, we'll see. One of the things I heard was that uh, they might do the peer-to-peer payments uh, via iMessage, which sounds like a great idea. But what about people who don't have an Apple phone? There's a lot more of them. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. You've you've got to you've got to interact with the uh, uh, with the world. However, it's going to be a very very interesting worldwide developers uh, conference this year. And needless to say, Tech Central will be all over it with uh, hourly updates online on the website and also daily updates if you subscribe to the newsletter. You get all the details for that on our website at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Have you ever gone through the process or pain, there's another P word, uh, of getting a car insurance quote online? I had to do this recently myself, and this is what I thought was interesting about it. They ask you for your name and then your email address. Then all of a sudden they're asking you for your address and not just a general address. They want it right down to the postcode. Um, they are looking for your date of birth. They want to know if somebody else is driving the car. What's all their personal information? What's their date of birth? What's the relationship between? It's a lot of information just to be putting on a website just to get a quote. And Niall, you've been out during the week and you've been talking to uh, a lady who thinks about all these things and about your data. And when you do put it on a website like that, what happens? Tell me who you were talking to. Yeah, I went out to the forecourts to meet with Kate Egan, who's a barrister who's specialising in uh, data protection law. So, uh, I mean, don't listen to our opinions on data protection. I mean, we're we're idiots. So we went and we asked somebody that actually knows what they're on about. Uh, and I started by asking, where exactly does Ireland sit uh, legally in the world of data protection? Are we, are we on the cutting edge or, as always, are we lagging behind everyone else? Um, absolutely not, Niall. We're actually uh, at, at the forefront of uh, the law in this area. As, as we discussed, the act we brought in was in 1988, which was shortly after the directive was promulgated in Europe. So we're actually, we, we had very strong protections in our own constitution to begin with, but we implemented the European law straight away in this area uh, for one reason or another. So we're actually at the forefront and we're doing extremely well. It's just that consciousness has just only been raised in, in recent years and the public are only recently becoming aware of their rights in this area. But Ireland actually has very strong protections, both in our own constitution and in the Data Protection Acts um, for consumers. And I guess that's by necessity because we do have so many multinationals based here and most of them sort of the big tech names are here in Ireland. And that brings a certain onus on Ireland to have particularly strong data protection measures, doesn't it? That's right, Niall. Yeah, luckily we had those protections uh, long before any of those companies actually located to Ireland. We were lucky in that sense because some of the European law takes us a while to implement, but we were at the forefront of developments in data law. So luckily we had um, that infrastructure in place that the infrastructure is changing again now but we were at least able to cope when all those companies located and we will hopefully be able to cope when the law changes again so um let's sort of start at the beginning if you will uh we'll go through the anatomy of say a, a data protection uh 
incident, if you will. So say your average person has decided that they're going to sign up for a newsletter or they've liked something on Facebook or they've added some sort of, you know, they've changed their address somewhere. They've submitted some sort of personal information to a, to a website or to a company. Um, what happens to that information? Like who is left in charge of that and what do they have to do with it? Well, consent in this area now is key. So it will depend uh, really on the terms and conditions that you sign up for. With a, a network site such as Facebook, you will sign before you're able to join as a member. You will sign a set of terms and conditions which give ownership of a lot of the content to Facebook, for example. But in another situation, for example, say where your data is taken from an internet uh, website, then there's no consent there. So the, the company will be more constrained in what they can do with your data. Uh, the key issue is as I say consent and also once you want them to stop using it or to stop contacting you if you make them aware of that in writing they have certain obligations but until you do that companies are allowed to process your data in a number of different ways including selling it to third parties and contacting you for the purposes of marketing. And I I guess when you look at data protection I mean it sort of breaks off into two strands really you you have the pure human rights element where you're looking at government surveillance uh, and that that wing which we're, we're we'll talk about in a little bit but there's also the element of protecting you from marketing <laughs> Absolutely, and we're all very concerned about that in this day and age. Um, well, I suppose they're related, the two fields, but uh, the marketing has been kind of a priority, I suppose, at a European level and at an Irish level. The, the main key point, I suppose, to take away about marketing is that if you sign up to something, it doesn't mean that that's the end of your say in how your data can be used. If you communicate to anybody in writing, be it a text message, an email, uh, that you no longer want to be contacted, they're obliged within 40 days to start stop contacting you. If they don't so stop, then you can complain to the Data Protection Commissioner and they can actually be made subject to criminal prosecutions. One of the interesting things about personal data, is, as we've come to know it, I mean, just as a side issue, when, when these acts were passed, personal data was basically you know, your name, address and phone number. And now we've got such a, a much wider breadth of things like you know, what videos you've uh, given a thumbs up to on YouTube or, or what things you've liked on Facebook. So there seems to be two different um, schools of thought on this. There's the Google school of thought, which is your data is your own and it's portable and it can go wherever you want and that's that's your property. And then there's the Facebook school of thought, if you will, where um, they take much greater ownership of your information and it's a, it's a commercial asset. That puts an awful lot more onus on Facebook to actually look after your data. Uh, uh, I, I guess, are, should people be more aware to the extent to which their data is being used for commercial purposes and maybe how it's being used for commercial purposes. Certainly. I mean, there's certainly a growing awareness in this area and a concern for individuals. I suppose people didn't realise the extent to which their data can be used um, and to which their privacy in some ways can be invaded. A lot of that is permissible and a lot of the processing that takes place is is with consent and permissible. But uh, people should certainly be careful before they sign up to, um, for example, access to apps or access to their preferences on these various websites because once consent is given, as I say, uh, a lot more activity is permissible and their information can be used for all kinds of activities, commercial and otherwise. So one of the great fears that people have, and I guess depending on which kind of service you're using, it's almost inevitable at some stage that you're going to come into contact with a data breach of, of some sort. It's happened to you know, mobile phone companies like TalkTalk. Talk. It's happened to social networks like Tumblr. Of course, we had Ashley Madison last year, wherein we ended up learning an awful lot more about how the business itself operated as much as the, the people that were signed up to it. But also very mainstream social networks like LinkedIn. 
So, uh, basically, what responsibilities does, say, we'll just take LinkedIn as an example, not to say that their practices are awful or anything like that, but in the case of a, a breach uh, by LinkedIn, what responsibilities do they have to their users? It's interesting you should bring that up, Niall. At the moment, they don't have an obligation to actually report breaches to users. Um, a lot of companies will report it. For example, most insurance companies will report if there's a, a breach of, of some kind of a data um, processing process for want of a better word they will generally report it or report it to the commissioner but we're moving to a situation now where it will become mandatory for all companies so there is a new initiative at a European level called the General Data Protection Regulation and there's a move on now to make it mandatory for all these companies where a breach like that occurs that they have to within 24 hours notify um, the data subjects which obviously would be very onerous for them but would of course increase compliance with data protection law and strengthen consumers rights uh, so then from the individual's perspective, say, you know, I've had my personal details exposed or my email address harvested by, by someone through no fault of my own, what sort of legal recourse does the individual have? Sure. Um, and it often comes down to that because obviously you can communicate with these vast organizations and you may not even get a response but only when you can kind of put something concrete in it by way of I suppose a threat or enforcement threat uh, does action tend to happen so the first recourse is that you write to the um, company involved and ask them to perhaps take down whatever content it is or to stop processing uh, you might make a data access request under section 4 of the 1998 act uh, as consolidated which by which you're allowed to have access to the information that they're storing about you and to be told how they're processing that. You're actually entitled to a copy of all that information as well. And if, that, if you don't receive a response from that or if the response is not satisfactory, you can then go on to complain to the Data Protection Commissioner and that's a very simple process which can be done via their website. The, what happens then is that the Commissioner is obliged to investigate your complaint unless she takes the view that it's frivolous or vexatious, by which uh, we mean that it, there's no merit whatever to it and that even on the top, on the high reading of your complaint that there's no case. Usually they will investigate and then you will hear from the commissioner as to whether they think that your rights have been violated or not. If you're still unsatisfied with that decision you can then appeal to the circuit court and appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court if needs be. Um, so you have quite a, a long road I suppose of enforcement but usually companies will start to engage as soon as you write to them because they know that there is this accessible option for consumers to complain and they know um, how much they're exposing themselves if they're found to be in breach. And I suppose the PR element of a data breach is massive for a company as well. If, if you look at it, something like Talk Talk, I, I believe their profits were not quite wiped out, but certainly halved off, on the back of their very embarrassing data breach. Absolutely. I mean, they, these companies trade on public confidence. So if um, consumers aren't confident with sharing their data, they just stop sharing. And um, even the, these free services, like some of the social networks, they can't function, they can't operate without people sharing their data. So the whole business can shut down effectively if they're perceived as not being a secure source for data. So uh, in terms of, like we, we've spoken about um, Ireland being at the forefront of data protection uh, law by necessity because, because we're surrounded by multinationals, we, we do have this problem where for years we were reliant on the principle of safe harbour to um, basically a, a gentleman's agreement between the EU and the US saying, yes, we do this with our data, it's fine, therefore you do the same. And that, of course, was completely evaporated last year when um, the, the Snowden revelations came, al came, came along. To which extent has that case changed our understanding of what data protection is? 
Yeah, I am intrigued by your designating it as a gentleman's agreement because that is literally all that it was. Uh, the US effectively self-certified that they would maintain the same standards of privacy and data protection as, as the European Union. And, of course, subsequent revelations emerged to show that that wasn't the case and they weren't actually maintaining, they weren't able to maintain those standards. So what happened was that Edward Snowden um, disclosed a surveillance, a widespread surveillance programme by the National Surveillance Agency in the US, um, which was covered by in a widespread nature in the media and an Austrian student then took a case um, in Ireland asking the data protection commissioner here to stop his transfer from Europe over to the US. So previously the the, the transfer, I mean in, in theory you're not allowed to transfer data from Europe out, outside Europe uh, without a special agreement and the special agreement that we had been relying on was what we discussed, Safe Harbour, the gentleman's agreement between the US and the EU. But this student was, was saying that in light of Snowden's rev, the Snowden revelations couldn't rely on that agreement anymore um, and he asked the courts to force the Irish Commissioner to investigate the extent to which the US could guarantee the privacy of citizens in Europe um, involved in these transfers. So obviously it's a huge undertaking. Um, The Irish Commissioner said that she was bound by a decision at European level which said that Safe Harbour was safe and that that was adequate protection for citizens' rights. But in fact the case uh, was stated from Ireland to Europe, which means that we asked the European Court for their opinion, and they said no, actually, circumstances have changed. When Safe Harbour was implemented, we didn't have um, such widespread use of social media, we hadn't encountered the internationalisation of terrorism, um, and so in light of the Snowden revelations and all the changing circumstances, we can no longer rely on that self-certification system, and in fact, we'll all have to start looking at every, uh, from the beginning to decide on a case-by-case basis whether it's safe to transfer data to the US. So this obviously caused huge problems for companies operating in Europe, even from the point of view merely of storing data in the US, um, of transferring data to the US simply just to store that data. And we've seen already a lot of multinationals building um, servers and things in Ireland so that they don't have to um, get around this, so to speak. We, there is a move on, I suppose, to replace Safe Harbour, um, but at the moment they still haven't quite finalised that. Yeah, and uh, when we look at how sort of uh, the legal argument is is proceeding, it still is rooted in this idea that in the EU we look after, you know, the state looks after people, whereas in the US the market is self-selecting and almost by accident looks after people. We're, we're, we're still kind of at an impasse between those two perspectives, aren't we? Absolutely. There's absolutely a kind of a gap in philosophy between the European model and that in the US, and I think that's what that has caused a lot of friction to date and will continue to be a problem for companies trying to operate between the two jurisdictions. So um, then just to to, um, sort of wrap up what we've been looking at, I I mean, data protection really is becoming a, a, a... I don't want to say the next big thing, but certainly a, a, a new bulwark or a new frontier in terms of um, the legal profession. What sort of people are being attracted to data protection now? I mean, uh, hopefully it's, it's, it's not some sort of fad before people go back into being interested in property or something like that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it, it's funny. It has drawn practitioners from across a number of areas. I myself came from a public law background, from a human rights background, and I became involved in this as the sort of the new frontier for human rights practice and the the last developing area I suppose of of human rights Uh, a lot of practitioners come via technology law commercial law so it's an interesting area to be in because it's a kind of a crossroads
crossroads among legal practitioners and of course consumers are getting the benefit of that cross-section of expertise as well but it is an area in, in which it's anticipated there'll be a lot more litigation in years to come and it's a growing and emerging area so it, there's still it's still new in the courts uh, but it's certainly an area that's on the rise in Ireland anyway. And thank you Kate. Thanks Niall. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Barrister at Law Kate Egan about data protection. Just before we go this week, Niall, what is our one more thing, the one story online we just couldn't squeeze into the show? Yeah, well, if you've been impressed by Google DeepMind's uh, progress to date and are worried about it going all Skynet on us, fear not. There is a... There is a I guess you'd call it a safety valve. And if you want to read more about that story, go on to techcentral.ie. Grant, you get more of that and all of the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more. And of course, all the latest from the Apple Worldwide Developers Conference. Get it at techcentral.ie, along with our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall, thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.